welcome back to the Dr. Body Mind Soul podcast. My name is Dr. Jude, and this is a podcast which explores how we can integrate modern medicine and alternative therapies to help you get the holistic health care that you deserve. I will be speaking to healers and seekers, researchers and authors who will share their experiences and the evidence to help guide us all to holistic health. Let's do this. Nick is a bit of a newfound kindred spirit. She's an anaesthetic doctor working in London who, like me, has started to deeply question the current disconnected, disembodied, disempowering Western approach and her role within it. She has started to train in breathwork facilitation and is passionate about the healing benefits of sauna. But that's not what we're going to talk about today, because she has come on the podcast to share a conversation with me about the challenges of challenging the Western medical establishment, both internally and externally. So Nick, it just feels so refreshing to connect with another doctor who shares a similar viewpoint to my own. It feels it feels rare. Yeah, great. Thanks, Jude. Um, yeah, I have to say it was also super refreshing for me to be able to connect with uh, someone else because I think when you're having these thoughts, you can, yeah, you can feel of a silo within the um, within the medical community, um, and yeah, and I think it's just really empowering for all of us to be able to just. Uh, yeah, share and connect and have these conversations. And, and as you say, like, yeah, question, question the way we've learned, question the way we treat patients and, and question the ways that we, we think about the human body. So, yeah, I really appreciate that. Mm. Um, I guess your, so maybe your first question was like, how, how did I get into it? Or what, what was like, maybe some moments for me? Is that right? Where, um, yeah, where things were changing, perhaps? Yeah, I think I think um, I'm curious around that sort of moment that you kind of started to consider that we may not have all the answers in the Western medical approach. I think that it's so common for us. I mean, it's the societal kind of viewpoint that we go to doctors for all the answers with regards to our health. And I certainly I'm a do- I'm a daughter of two doctor parents and very much respected, like, you know, the profession that they were in um, and considered the approach to be the one and only healthcare approach. And it took quite a, you know, a lot of travel and it took quite a lot of um, introspection for me to sort of start to consider things might not be all as it seemed as it were and I'm really curious about was there a moment for you when you started to question or see things a bit differently Mm, yeah I guess so I guess I've always had a an interest in like yeah a bit like you know you know uh exploring a lot and and just considering how other cultures and civilizations and countries um think about health and the body and I, yeah, I guess exploring different theories of how things work. Um, and when I was a medical student, um, and so I basically wrote this proposal that I would go and study Tibetan medicine. And I, that was a kind of big turning point for me to just go and um, try and spend some time with with another way of understanding the body and, and another style of medicine. And I was it was really refreshing in many ways because they also thought a lot about how 
their model of medicine might fit in with other models of medicine. And um, a lot of the doctors were like, yeah, you know, we're not, we're not great at treating, you know, if somebody's broken their leg, we don't, we don't have the best medicines for that, but we do think we're really good at preventative care and, and keeping people well. And it was really interesting and refreshing to hear that there wasn't, you know, uh, just one way of working, but that they could appreciate that there were different styles and that there were things that some people were better at. And but they thought they were, you know, they had a really good grasp on on what keeps people well. So that was um, like a really important experience for me um, to kind of see see how different people worked. And then I, yeah, I I spent a lot of time working in in different refugee camps um, after I'd been working as a doctor in the UK for a couple of years and I think I just I felt my overwhelming feeling in these places was that I was quite useless actually and it was really interesting to see that the illnesses that people presented with um, were often uh, like somatization so you know uh, like physical manifestations of of the trauma that they'd really um, been uh, subjected to on their journey as to how they'd made it to the country they were in. And, you know, I was equipped with like paracetamol and antibiotics and maybe some blood pressure medicines. Um, but all of it feel, felt really inadequate to what I was seeing people present with in the clinics. And so I that also kind of fed into my questioning of like, what does it mean to heal? And what does it mean to to help people really because actually people really wanted to be heard and to be listened to and it was again challenging my kind of biomedical model of of medicine that made me think what we're providing people here is really just inadequate mm. and then um I guess finally and uh, I was uh, I was also an emergency medicine doctor and I left that training to kind of start anesthetics and the final I guess like I had always again felt like I didn't have enough time or there was enough space to actually really hear what was going on for people um there's just you know so many time constraints in in the NHS um and Initially, I thought it was like just working in the emergency department and that anesthetics was going to be this kind of elixir of being able to spend time with people and um, giving them really important surgeries. And, you know, I really believe that surgery is such an important um, tool in 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 healing. And I think, you know, there's definitely a time and a place for it. But I was also seeing patients on the table. That I just thought, how are we how are we here? How did we not? help someone earlier on and like what tools are we giving people really to uh to stay well like how are we how are we not kind of prioritizing health maintenance and that's sort of what's led me on my journey to where I am today yeah I love that I think it really goes to show you know that travel really broadens the mind and mm. I think in both of our professional um, journeys. And that's the beauty of actually doing medicine is that it does open and allow for um, us to go and, and travel and ultimately learn all over the world. And it's through, I guess, seeing health being approached in different um, ways, then we are offered a sort of, um, a sort an opportunity to reconsider perhaps 
how we do things. Um, and it seems as though that's been a really pivotal, uh, pivotal part of, of, of both of our journeys, actually. And you speak really um, eloquently about your time within refugee camps and the somatization um, of trauma that was so evident there. And I think that we actually see that more often than we would care to admit really within the emergency departments, even in the UK. I know I see so many people who come in with chest pain and abdominal pain and headaches, which are so often somatization. You know, they actually, and, and this is how they are feeling, but we've, we've as a society become so disembodied that we are unable to recognize our own feelings and how they are expressed. And we push them down so much. We ignore the whispers of our bodies so much that they have to scream in order for us to pay attention, which so often is where we interface with them when we are in the emergency department working as doctors. And that can be a really difficult concept to translate to patients because, again, there's no background in sort of attunement and slowing down. And there seems to be such a stigma around explaining that these symptoms are actually a manifestation of how you are feeling emotionally. It feels as if to patients that's really popping them off and really dismissing them. And so it can be quite a difficult conversation to, to have in the emergency department. And often that takes time. And as you've mentioned, the time constraints when working in an, emer an emergency department, which is incredibly chaotic, incredibly busy, um, is not afforded. And the problem I see with within that is it's just not within the emergency department that those restraints are very present. Now it's also very much within the general general practitioners and um, surgeries. So where are patients getting the chance to actually learn to trust their bodies, learn to understand their bodies, like be heard, as you say, which is such a key part of the healing process. Mm, yeah, thanks for that, Jude. I, yeah, I really, really agree. And I, I think a couple of points to pick up on are that like, there's this, there's this huge cultural shift that needs to happen like you're completely right like people are very disembodied and have been convinced of mind body duality which is completely and that's obviously what your podcast is about and yeah it's it's it, there's a lot of shame as you say like built up in the fact that that something might be a physical manifestation of emotion but but I I only realized you know maybe two years ago that I get a lot of chest pain and I get a lot of chest pain when it's related to, yeah, when I'm feeling either uncomfortable about something or anger. And it's really only taken, it's taken a lot of like diff exploring different types of therapy and, and then understanding that, that that's what's happening to me. And I, I kind of, it really struck me just thinking about all of the patients who come in with what, you know, the medical community called called non-specific or non-cardiac chest pain um but it really the thing that helps patients i think understand it or if we if we had time but this is also rapport and relationship with patients and because we have so little time and because it's thought of so negatively that uh that explanation is really difficult to kind of 
convey that to patients. I think that's a real, a really big challenge. And then there's also the, just the culture of really pe- people just not wanting to take big thing to say and maybe we can delve into it a bit more but um but yeah there's this kind of lack of responsibility so it's much easier to take a pill or to have a treatment um than to think about what the root causes of some of a health problem might be and then and then needing to change your life according to that and i think there's just the combination of of a a quick fix society with this combination of disembodiment and mind-body duality that has like emerged over the probably the last few there's probably the last few hundred years let's be honest of like the ways that we think about health um has really created this um (laughs) almost like explosion of um able to connect with their bodies really Mm. and i wonder what the relationship of that is then with the surge of mental illness that we have and we're seeing an epidemic proportions you know I wonder I'm just really curious around the relationship between this sort of level of disembodiment and then this rise of 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 depression and anxiety which are at at epidemic proportions at the moment so yeah I, I love this I mean you mentioned a couple of things that I would love to pick to pick up on which is one the doctor patient relationship because I think that we have come so far away from any meaningful relationship with our doctors and and patients that it's shocking and so untherapeutic there's so much to be said around the healing power of a relationship especially within a therapeutic relationship there you know for which the the doctor patient one is and could really be utilized reassurance is a huge thing um and actually you know if we were afforded time with our patients to build a relationship which used to be there decades ago we would have a family doctor who was there with our family for our entire lifetimes we knew each other we we knew what was going on in each other's lives we knew um you know we 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 knew how they presented with things we've got to understand got to understand our patients their bodies and their minds and that just has totally and utterly been degraded um before my very eyes over the last um decade of my of my practice we now have hubs um it doesn't matter who you see as long as you just see anyone people routinely come to emergency departments for um primary care again just an in and out visit and that is just not the same as a doctor patient relationship which could be so therapeutic and i think we're really losing so much both in terms of the uh, quality of care that we can deliver to our patients, um, but also to the the job satisfaction from the doctors. Um, You know, there's there's something there's something really rewarding about um, actually working with people. We're all people, people. Um, That's why we would come into a a caring profession and you know, doctors are leaving in droves. And I don't think it's all because of the overwork. I think it's also the quality, not just the quantity of um, relationships that we are getting to have with our patients. It feels so unsatisfying to have 
five minutes to build a rapport with a total stranger who just want a quick fix. And I don't blame them for wanting a quick fix either, because I think that's all that they are offered. So I think that, yeah, the lack of doctor-patient relationship has changed, is really, really impacting both on patients and doctors and um, for the worse. Now you're talking about um, leaving the profession. Hmm. Tell me a bit more about your decisions um, because it's uh, it brings up a lot. I mean, I'm contemplating the same thing. I've actually made a decision to leave the profession um, later on this year. And I'm just, yeah, I'm really curious around what comes up for you um, as you sit with a decision of, of leaving. Mm, yeah, great question, Jude. Um, yeah, I mean, I I've also made a decision to leave. I'm just sort of like, yeah working out the best way to do it I guess um and yeah I think to come back to what I spoke about earlier um and it kind of yeah I guess it's a as a result of everything we've really spoken about like um and I started having a lot of these thoughts of feeling frustrated in the emergency department which led me to leaving emergency medicine about not being really able to see people and treat people in a in a yeah as you mentioned like in a profound way um it all felt very futile and systems based and we were never getting to the root cause of anything um and then moving to anesthetics where I was like in my mind it was going to be this like panacea of uh well I only had one patient to look after we were doing a definitive procedure um but then really feeling like having a lot of these thoughts of just like yeah how did we get here and we didn't help someone earlier and I think um for me now I'm really keen to give people the tools to be well there's also this like activist political part of trying to change the way that we we perceive um what is to be a healthcare system and we talk about healthcare, but really it's disease care that's what we're doing and I think my real motivation now is just like how do we keep people healthy because actually that's how you offload the NHS and we talk about this so much about how it's overwhelmed and we don't have enough doctors and um, we don't have enough healthcare professionals and that the working conditions are terrible which they are and they are getting worse and that I guess has played a big part in also wanting to leave because I could feel my own health deteriorating as a result. Um, And so, but really if we want to, there is obviously, again, I think that improving the health service is kind of multifactorial. Like, yes, the government need to put more money in. We need to make working conditions better. But the thing is that we actually need to keep people well. And it's still remarkable and astounding to me that there is, just not enough um, energy going into um, keeping the population well. Yeah, I, I think I think not like keeping people well, and also actually, I believe that another really important way in which we offload the um, health or disease care, as we, as you very aptly called it, is actually you know when when doctors cannot help this person or this condition, we refer them to health professionals that can. But in order to do that, we need to know who, that what the healing modality is, who the healers are, 
and actually be able to then refer them on, which would then go some way to offloading a healthcare system, which has actually very limited um, tools available to offer such patients. So because we've become so, we've monopolized the healthcare space and taken all the patients on board, whether or not we can uh, treat them effectively, where the system is overloaded, but overloaded with not people with people that we actually are doing a disservice to, because we don't know about alternative healing modalities, um, and we've decided to do it all ourselves, then we're we're, we're kind of stuck. Mm. Yeah, and I think in the biomedical model, there's really this, um, I guess, what we term like pathologizing, like. I guess it's like trying to understand on a molecular level or a cell level what's what's happening but there's this kind of it's very reductive and there's this kind of yeah arrogance that we have all of the answers as well. Totally arrogance and I often say arrogance and ignorance because there's not really yeah. any knowledge about you know, alternative or different ways in which the body is viewed um, and so yeah, even though, and as you say, very a, reduct, a reductive view, and because there's perhaps no evidence in a particular field, or we can't see any evidence of disease because this blood test shows this and this blood test doesn't show that, then suddenly it just negates that person's experience. Um, I find that very reductive um, as I well. I this really brings us on to like, um, to like evidence-based medicine and maybe you want to speak a little bit about evidence based within the alternative therapies and like where we're, yeah, where we're moving with that and how that might be helpful in changing people's perspectives maybe. Well, I mean, this is certainly, this is certainly something I think I, I, I'd love to explore, you know, what you think about um, evidence-based medicine and just evidence-based in general, because I find this obsession with evidence-based quite problematic because it doesn't actually consider the mechanics of how that evidence is generated. Um, I think let's, you know, go back to, I think at, at its core, science is a spiritual endeavor in its pursuit of truth. However, it is only ever as good as the people doing it. And that is largely driven because you, because we've said we live in a capitalist society. It's driven by um, money and funding. And so we have a system which is asking very reductive questions that um, are asked with, by people who have an, a financial incentive. And then it's published um, in a biased fashion because you only see positive results, you're not seeing negative results. I, I kind of feel a little bit differently in that I think it is it's useful and I, I think it helps people get their mind maybe into a different place. Like maybe it's this kind of like bridging um, um, mechanism. And I've sort of really enjoyed um, a lot of the research that's coming out about um, sauna use. And the thing is that like, um, like I mean, 99.9% of people feel great when they come out of the sauna. There's still some people who tell me that oh, I don't like sauna. But, um, and of course, I'm like, not everyone is for everything. And I think that humans are different about how they respond to things. But um, most people feel great. And we've known that for thousands of years. But it's really nice to see some of the, again, like maybe the molecular mechanisms or the physiology 
that's happening um, and the research that's going on around that. Um, there's a big kind of, um, this is population based, but there's a big uh, study they did where they, they did this kind of um, prospective cohort. So they took a bunch of people um, who sauntered uh, various amounts of times per week and then they um, looked at them they've looked at them over 25 30 years and they've seen uh, what health outcomes they have and what that people died from and um, and then they've kind of uh, adjusted for things like smoking lifestyle type 2 diabetes you know things that we know cause cardiovascular disease um, and then they've basically worked out what might sauna be attributing to improving people's health and i think that though it's not individualistic but it helps us um in this day and age which you know we are living in a particular society who thinks a particular way it can be a nice bridging for people to feel more comfortable about there being some evidence about stuff that we've always known so i quite i quite like it in a way and it, for me i really loved understanding a bit more about why something can be helpful like I find that physiology really interesting great and also I couldn't agree more about and also what you're saying around evidence I think it's incredibly empowering and um, I think using it to bridge so that we can speak the same language is incredibly important and that's why I'm producing um, research reviews which show us the Western way and then show us alternative approaches. What do we know? And like, let's question why we don't know what we don't know. And, you know, let's let's look into that a little bit more and a little bit, a little bit more deeply. So I'm a big fan of, of science and I'm a big fan of evidence that we have to we have to use it accordingly and know where the limits are within that. Like, you know, small, often small and even larger based population studies um, don't always, um, we just have to be, we just have to be aware of the underlying societal mechanisms for why and how these studies are being, are being um, done Um and the questions that they are there to answer. So, yeah, I just think that there's um, a lot of inherent bias within the system. It doesn't make the actual evidence bad. It just means that we just need to, I think, um, be aware of them, especially as doctors who are there evaluating and giving advice. Um, so I think I, I think we should be doing that a little bit more critically. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you on that point. And, and we just... How much big pharma pays for research? Like all the research papers that are paid for by um, big pharma is just absurd. So obviously, it's like hugely biased. And um, yeah, we said it before. We said it again. We live in a capitalist society. People want to make money from health. They do. Uh, it's you know, it's the one thing that everybody wants, right? Like so. Yeah, of course, there's there's money to be made, and there's there's research to be done to be shown that um, drugs are needed. Exactly. And I think we just, as um, agents within the system, you know, we need to understand our role within that and the ethics of that. And like, even just ask ourselves the question, um, like, you know, what, and, and understand the role that we are playing within this system. So that this capitalistic system that, that, that is making money from the way that we are actually managing health um, as, as doctors. So just it's just like a sort of level of understanding around the role that we have. Um, that's really got me feeling a bit 
troubled. And I just wonder as well, we spoke about this before, um, what it feels like within the system. So like when we talk to colleagues, like what has your experience been around raising some of these issues, perhaps um, maybe have you felt um, emboldened to uh, raise some of these concerns or issues or insights to colleagues or um or yeah what what is it what has it felt like to to share your perspectives in 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 the medical community Mm, yeah great question I there's like lots of different things that come up for me but I think being able to speak up in in the NHS environment is actually quite a challenging place to be and apart from just like having slightly different medical ideas or thoughts which I'll come on to and how people have received those um just being able to speak up against like about everyday sexism that is happening I mean working in the operating theatres is, is just rife with sexism so so then to speak about um having views around um how the biomedical model responds to health and why I guess I have to go into shifts now where I do mostly know the people I'm working with, but sometimes I work with different people all the time and, um, and they're like, you know, want to find out about me, what, what are you doing and, and what's your story? And, and yeah, I feel that I'm grappling with this own, my own sense of shame, um, around, yeah, leaving a profession that I thought, I mean, and in some ways I kind of always feel like that will be in me. Like I'll always be a doctor, but leaving this particular system of, of learning and working. Yeah. I have a kind of great sense of shame in it in explaining what I'm going into and people are like, okay, that sounds odd. (laughs) And, you know, my, the way I've grown up and I think being raised as a woman in society, like, uh, you know, have this big people pleaser part of me and that just kind of grappling with that and knowing that uh, people are going to be disgruntled or it's going to make I find a lot of people it makes them feel uncomfortable because the reality is that they want to leave but they feel so tied into it um, that they can't and so people feel very uncomfortable by my presence I think because I represent something that they would either like or that they've questioned themselves but they to. And so that's just brought up, uh, yeah, a lot of different feelings in myself, really. Mm. You mentioned you mentioned shame. What would you say other feelings are? Yeah, I think um, I think the other thing to to speak about is grief, mm. um, which I'm becoming accustomed to. And, a, and this kind of, it's almost like being bereaved, you know, I thought I was going to live this life. And when I decided that I was leaving my training program and, and medicine um, in general, yeah, it, it's grieving for for an identity and a life and a, and a person I thought I was going to be. And I'm excited that I'm not doing that. But there is also um, giving that grief space and feeling it and acknowledging it, I think has been really, really important for being able to to move on as well. Mm. Oh gosh, when you said that, I kind of, it almost felt like a relief to hear that because it sort of named something that I think I also, I think a feeling, but I felt unable to name 
So I'm really appreciating you bringing that actually and noticing and noticing grief. And I think that can feel so it can feel so profound with a medical career because it's very much seen for a lot of people as, as a vocation and therefore something that is done for life, very much part of an identity and is an identity that a lot of people look up to and there's a certain status within society that, are, that is given to doctors um, that I've always noticed um, with having parents and doctors as well and noticing that I also had sort of um, internalised that, that, that sort of uh, status that I'd seen, that I'd obviously had and um, that um, but is it? It's not respect. I think for for them. So it's yeah. There's a sort of a a, a fear around um, what is being left behind, and a questioning of why I am leaving it behind. Um, and um, I think that that's particularly challenging with a vocation that is perceived by so many as um, very noble and inherently good. And has obvious advantages as well. I've loved my job for a long time. It's given me, you know, ability to travel around the world and learn and um, also make, um, I've worked in a really buzzy team and I've really enjoyed that. And there are elements that I I have also found really, really difficult and I'm ready to leave behind. Um but yeah, this grief, I suppose, it's, it's the both and the and. It's like, you know, it's feeling grief and excitement. It's feeling um, scared and, yeah, scared and excited. So, yeah, it's a combination of feelings like so many feelings are. Um, but yeah, I can really relate to that feeling of grief. And I can also relate to that look of bewilderment on colleagues' faces when you talk or when I've talked around alternative therapies and what my viewpoint is on the use of alternative therapies and actually um, questioning the construct in which we're all working. I mean, that's just no, you know, it's, 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 it's not something that the majority of doctors are thinking about. And so there's a definite look of puzzlement and bewilderment and total confusion on colleagues' faces, which can feel very othering and um and um ostracizing in a way yeah no I, I i completely agree and i think yeah really yeah i really liked some of the things you just said and yeah there's this kind of shedding of a skin and like growth that um that is happening um yeah i don't know if you feel like that too like uh a kind of metamorphosis into a different way of being and of course like you have to shed off the all of the old layers and the old thoughts about yourself to like become something new and different um and yeah for me I feel like that's happening right now mm. I guess maybe one thing I was going to pick up on was that you would and and I totally identify with this is it and we were maybe talking about it a little bit before but this sense of power um, that comes with the status of being called a doctor and 
yeah, oh my God, I totally feel it too. And and my ego is has definitely been, um, you know, built up around uh, the identity of being a doctor. And I think again, there's that's what part of the grieving is is for. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also noticed that myself, like the sense of uh, yeah, I can feel the sense of model really builds up this um, sense of power over people and I think that that is also part of my growth uh, uh, growth and and a metamorphosis in in shedding uh, and I was speaking about this with a a friend who's a GP as well and and she's kind of always a standard by like the level of power that we we hold in society and there's this odd combination of wanting to leverage that um, you know with activism or speaking out in public health matters and and utilizing that power for good but then also you know ensuring that we that we shed that power when we're with patients and it's this kind of odd combination of the two and how you ride either of those waves um, and hopefully you ride them in the right proportions but um, but yeah I'm kind of consistently like battling with my own ego, but then also utilizing it and then also shedding it. It's, it's quite a hard combination to, um, yeah, to kind of work with. Oh, it can resonate with this so much. Um, I guess that that's why I, I think that's why I've called, you know, I've, that's why I've created like Dr. Body, Mind, Soul. It's almost like in a recognition of the power that that label has and a sort of choice that I've made in order to leverage that power. And so it's really important to be aware of the power that that holds and the power dynamic that that sets up both within society, but then yes, absolutely within patients. There is a really, there is a, there is a power dynamic there that we need to be super aware of um, that that we can that can be really easily manipulated manipulated or just just not un, unconsciously um and we we need to be aware of the power that we have and use it use it as much as we can use it for good like that is that is very much that is very much what i want to to do using to do moving forward because i really understand the power of that title and the position in society that being a doctor holds and I want to leverage that for good um and yeah it's tricky because it also bundles up like yeah identity and ego and how I've looked up to it and how I relate to it and my parents being doctors and coming from a family of doctors and what all of those kind of connotations it's sort of yeah it can get a bit icky well I just this has been such a refreshing in-depth exploratory conversation that I've so enjoyed having. Um, You've really spoken to a lot of questions that have been mulling over in my own head and I've often felt very alone in thinking about. And so it's just been really nice to connect in this way so thank you very much for your time I really appreciate um having a space to share these um thoughts um and uh, I've definitely felt way less alone yeah me too no I think it's like uh it's so 
we know this with our patients as well, but like when you're having these feelings, it's just so important to share. And um, yeah, I guess like the commonality of like human experience is just really important. So yeah, I found it super valuable as well. Super. Thank you so much, Nick. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you for listening, Body, Mind, Soul Seekers. If you want to connect with trusted alternative therapists, learn more about what they do and how they can help you, check out my new holistic healthcare platform, The Witchy Women. Or if you are a holistic healer that wants to serve and help more people, book in a discovery call with me. Find more details at thewitchywomen.com. To show your support for this podcast, please share it with a friend or leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Thank you all so much. Until next time.